This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. At one of my visits there to Troll, uh, we were discussing the operated cows, which is uh, the uh, displaced abomasum and the bloating. Years ago, they were more familiar with the bloating. They didn't know about the displaced abomasum, which is called DAs or LDAs. Reb uh, Moshe, in the same safe, he writes that there's... Um, there's a hatter to use a stam cholov in America because of government inspection, etc., etc. So in ois chof or chof alef, he addresses that any behemoth that had operation, which was then bloating based on the way he described the operation, is definitely a treif, and it's not choiz lechsheir like other Rabbanim wanted to say, and it blives treif. And so when I was discussing with Volyashev the, the thing with operated cows, because he's gone through it with veterinarians and others that are familiar with the cows, etc., with Tanuva, etc., etc., it was very, very familiar. And Volyashev told me that there's um, one in, a, in America, over in America, that basically, um, in order to come up with a, with, a, um, with a heter for the operated cows, that it's not the Chol of Trefa, he changed around the fact, which he says he's very does that very, very often, he changed the facts to fit the thing, and Riyasha says he's very familiar with the facts, what it is, because he's spoken to veterinarians and the Tanuva and a lot of other ones, and the other one basically, but they ate the cup with, the, with all different kind of facts, that's a Nishka Shtoyge Nishka Boyden. By a Psaq, you have to first know what the facts are. You can't base a Psaq on that. So I told him, but the Sirov has a lot of very good rias. His psak, he says, I told you again, you can't call it a psak, it's a hetter. A psak is based on facts, and you did your research on the facts. This is not based on facts, it's based on basically chaloimus. So you can't really call it a hetter. He says, and this drove does this very often on a lot of things, that he mainly comes up with a, with a hetter on a thing, don't ever call it a psak, it's a hetter, and it's not to be relied upon. So I asked him, could you maybe give this, I asked him, is this, could I publicize this? He says, I'm telling you, to you, could they, you should publicize it. He says, I know you what you are, I know exactly what you do, and I want you to publicize it. So I told him, could they all give me this thing in writing? So he says, no, I want basically the OU uh, with that poison to come down to me. That there is nothing to the this. There's a, um, there was a um, certain uh, rise that he had, and um, the abitment from Tanuva was the go-between between and this other love in America, that held that the thing is mutter, this and that, and he went back and forth, and uh, Rav Yashif showed the Vitman that all of his facts and all of his mice and the way he's learning of the Poiskim and the Gemaras and everything else is it doesn't have any basis to it. There's also a curl in, in Staten Island. The curl in Staten Island is from Rev. Arya Kempler, who had their curl. <coughs> they communicated back and forth in writing with the with this role from the OU that held that it's it's not a safer. And they showed him Claude, it's a whole safer that came out for the They showed that all of his rights and all of his things basically don't have any halachic standing or factual standing, etc., etc. But I took a halachic that's what it is, and you couldn't get him to back down, even though 
in, and I went to Bozner about it, and he also knew what the facts are, and he says, it's, it's, it's Vade Vade today from Kingsmakers. I got a call one day <coughs> from the head of the OK, the rabbi over there, the, <coughs> the owner, the partner rather, and he tells me that he spoke to the Bzalman Goldberg, and he said that because the milk from each cow, you don't know <coughs> from an operated cow or not. So I told him, evidently, you weren't on a farm in the last couple of years. Because now they don't take any milk the way they used to do it <coughs> from a cow and put it into two, three bottles and merely have a supper of which cow. They take all the milk, they put it into a large tank that holds whatever it is, 20,000, 80,000 gallons of milk. If you don't have shishim, everything is not suffer, everything is bodily safe because there's no shishim. And the amount of operated cows from the displaced of mason and from bloating, etc., is between 6 and 8%. And shishim is 1.6%. So you never ever have over there anything of shishim. And Mela, why do you come and tell me that this is what the Abzalman Nehemi told you? It can't be because that's not the way they have it on a farm now that every bottle is a suffolk. So he says, you're right. I didn't realize it. Let me check out and I'll call you back. I'm waiting already 10 years for him to call me back. <coughs> we also have a scale gemach, which we uh, give out scales for people. Usually it's the afternoon before the prayer, so they want to know if the baby is, is gaining weight and the doctor wants to have it weighed every day or a few times a day, etc., etc., based on the weights. So we have uh, whatever it's called, 15 scales that we lend out to the Tarotum. <coughs> what happened one time, which was very recently, just a few weeks ago, that uh, a twin, identical twins, got mixed up. They didn't know which one is the older one, which is the younger one, which is what. And, uh, you know, the brisky make the older one. Other thing, I don't know if it was Negeil, Gabay, Bechoyer also, I don't know what it was. And then they have to that the babies did not weigh the same. So let's check the weights now of the baby. We know which one weighed more than the other one. And now we'll make some sort of sim and then we'll know exactly which one is what based on that. So at least the, the scales came in pretty handy for that to decide which one is the older child and the other one when they were identical twins. <coughs> uh, there's people that don't want to get married in the second half of the month. After 15, 16, whatever it was. The date that was negated by me for my chasna was Chavvei Sivan. So I went to ask Rabbi Yaakov, what should I do? Yes, make it down, or push it off a little bit, whatever else it is. So he said, I'll tell you the truth. He said, my chasna, my first chasna was also a Chavvei Sivan. And I think I put up a very nicely respected family, and uh, no problem. Can't smash up Chavvei Sivan. You have absolutely no problem. No problem. It was once uh, with the, what happened was interesting in a house that they did not broke on Pesach. Uh, one brother decided that he's going to broke. He holds he's nothing wrong, and he broke in the plate. They went, they put the plate away, etc., etc. In the morning, basically, uh, the one that broke and another brother went to Yaakov. Uh, first, they paced in the morning to tell the son. So Yaakov asked this younger one that broke, he says, what was your head with the broke? So he says, I'm all matches with tepachtik. So I'm a male, uh, you could have had all different kinds of shadows. Now with such thin matzahs, So the Yaakov said, I personally don't brock because of something that I once said when I was a guest by somebody because I didn't want to eat, so I said I don't brock, so since then I don't brock. But let me tell you, it's a bigger problem now than it was then when they made it in If you take a look in the dough, when they made then, they used to make one dough, they kneaded it extremely, extremely well, and there was no 
specks of white inside the dough. You take now of what they do, they do 10, 12 miris in an 18 minute period, basically, and you cut that dough, you take a look at it, you're going to see white specks. Those white specks is flour that was not kneaded. You put that into water, yes, it's going to become chalice. So he says now the problem is a lot bigger than it was then. Uh, I found, I went around to a lot of the bakeries to see what it is. The ones that don't do thinning, basically with an iron bar, basically all of them have the white specks. And it is, it is a problem. And they have to work, basically, after they use more water, and the chalene should use less water. The one that I found to be the best in this was basically the Puppet Salem Bakery. That is, I don't find any specs. I think the one they do the matzahs for me, we have it set up over there exactly what it is. Then, the Yaakov address, he says, interesting, he says, in, in a shtub, where they, they fear that they don't brook, and one son decides that he's going to be, he's going to brook, and that hail, not that he took paper goods to Brocken, put, put, put his things in a valiska and send them out. That's what you have to do with such just because you decide that you want a brock. Then take paper plates and brock and do what you want and place the spoons of the cancer by by uh by a tafta and stub. interesting we're talking about soup. Uh, I was uh, doing Ajgacha once at a, at a chasana and then uh, somebody comes into the kitchen and tells me that the bar and shech, the rishiv from Chaim Bullen, wants to talk to me. Okay, so I come to him. So he says, could you get me a um, cup of soup and a disposable cup? I say, you're leaving now? He says, no, I'm staying. I say, so why do you need a disposable cup? He says, that's the way I always get it. I said, do you mind if I give it to you in a, in a regular china cup? He says, I don't mind. So I give it to him. And I ask him, could you explain to me why you eat soup in a cup and not from a plate? He says, I'll tell you very partial. He says, many times the soups are very good, but when you eat soup with a spoon, it has a tendency of dripping down on your beard, and then you fresh your beard. So you go to the basin to take a look at your beard and you wash it off. By the time you come back, the waiter took away the bowl of soup, and you're finished. So you had a good bowl of soup that you wanted, and the house garnished from the outside. So I learned that if you drink it from a cup, you don't have this problem. So I say, so why do you ask for disposable cup? He says, because every time that I ask for a cup of soup, the waiters must have thought that I'm leaving. So he gave it to me in a disposable cup, so I got used to it. I was in a disposable cup. It was an interesting way of eating soup. I once asked the Nelson, Bachfeld, the Mashkirch in Lakewood, to saying, Mashayasa is man, layasa seichel. But what do you do when somebody doesn't have time and doesn't have seichel? So he smiles, regular smile, and he laughs and he says, Let me tell you something. He says, he says, Alphas all the men. There was Hotnish Kinsaychel, Hakemish Kinsait, and there was Hotnish Kinsait, Hotnish Kinsaychel. It's all the same person. But you know, the saying is, Mashiach has Manly I noticed on, um, on baby formulas, there's a thing in there called Turin. And uh, when I looked up what Turin is and the Merck Index and that, uh, it wasn't Gishmak what I saw. So I called up the, the okay, and I asked um, what is Turin. They said, we're not sure what it is, but it needs a good hashgach, and we use only the Turin from the OU. Okay. <clears throat> so I call up the, the Hafke, and I asked him, could you tell me what Turin is? He says, Turin is something that needs a good hashgach, and we also use only the one from the OU. I call up uh, the OU, what's Turin? They said, it's a, it's a group one. Group one means it's like sugar and salt, etc. That doesn't need ashkar. Okay. 
I call up Pinchas Binder from the Eder, and I ask him what is Tarini. He says Tarini. He says, let me look it up. He says, but me lichten noich that it's made from either ox bile or shark's blood. But let me look it up. And he looked. He says, yeah, that's what it is. So I said, Oy, bazoy, how does the Eder give us on baby formula that has Tarini? He says, very good question. He says, but let me tell you, we found a company in Japan <coughs> that makes Tarini synthetically. And that's the only one we use. I said, do you have any idea what they're using in America with the baby formulas? He said, your guess is as good as my guess. I don't even know if they know what Tarine is all about. See, but the big problem is, is that the cash organizations don't have a chemist on staff that goes through every one of the things to know what is chemistry. You have guys that, you know, the wannabes. They'll play that they understand the ingredients, they know ingredients, but they're not, they're not a food chemist. You need a food chemist and everyone in a cash organization to know exactly what it is in the mix. So event, eventually it turned out to be that I notified the OU that they have a problem with Tarina getting, and I couldn't get them to move any place. So then I saw that J&J was making their formula, which had the OU Ashgacha, and they had it in Tarina, I called up the owner of J&J, and I told them what the problem is. See? Went and made a big tararam over there, and they told him that his grada was synthetically, but the other ones took a warrant, and the mail uh, took them basically took them a year or so in order to make the changes, but they finally got the changes made. <coughs> I went to do oil production in California for Etisrol for <coughs> Bedat Mahadim. And then my question came up because they were going to ship it in a plastic tote. That's a thing that could hold whatever, a thousand, two thousand gallons. And that's the way they ship it, not in a metal tank or anything else like that. So I kosher the totes. But my question was, that Moshe holds that you can't kosher plastic. Diane Weiss, on the other hand, holds you could kosher plastic. So I sent a message to Ravosna that I'm doing it in America, but I'm doing it for Echestrol de Kashgacher. Can I rely on Diane Weiss? That I could catch a plastic, or hey, you're I'm making America, I have to go with the moisture that I cannot do it. So he sent back to me that hey, you're going to stroll, you have a right to catch it for the thing. So I went and I cashed it, the catch it twice. Uh, it was from grape juice before, and we cashed it with, with uh, boiling hot water and steam, etc., etc., and did the thing. <coughs> Two, three weeks later, I get a frantic call from Badat Mahadrin. That oil, they shipped it off directly to a company that's under a Brando. And he says, what's what my says does that you cash it from grape juice. So I told Badat Mahadna, I don't know what you're making an ask about. First of all, in my report that I sent you uh, two weeks ago, it said over there exactly what I cashed it from. And he didn't say anything. You tell me you don't read my reports? So I don't know what it is. So I said, but this is what it is. Okay. So then they passed on to the Brando, uh, that basically this was made, and yes, it was made like that. So the Rwanda said, I want to see the Meshgir's report. So they gave him the Meshgir's report. I have no problem with his report. And um, if he read the report, he says, I'm going to use it for Pesach, the oil without a problem. So, but that's my husband, he asked him why. So he says, very simple. You never really know by Ashgacha that's being done someplace else, and it's not your own people that are doing it. You take it from somebody else. You don't know what's doing over there. Uh, did he cover this thing? Did he cover that thing? But when I read this report from this uh, this uh, rabbi over here, I see he covered every single aspect that you want to cover. He had covered over there, and he took care of it, etc., etc. So from this, I have no problem using it for Pesach. So I use Pesach. 
I get a call one day from the Chakava. He he's basically he runs the Eilash Gacha, the Chakava Rebbe, and he comes the Rebbe, and he tells me that um, the Gabriel Papana and the one that runs the business aspect of the Eida is now in New York, and he wants me to meet with him because he wants me to start working for the Eida. <coughs> so I called up this uh, Gabriel Papenheim and I met with him. He asked me about a chemist. I said, I, I know some chemistry or food chemistry, but I can't call myself a chemist. Now. Yeah, that's what he's looking for. Okay. He asked me, do you have a report that you own the company? So I had from a tuna fish operation, a seven-page report. I gave it to him. He read it through. He says, no, you're not for us. I said, what's the problem? He says, you're too detail-oriented. We want somebody with Meshikta Arayim. Don't look for Tutsuk in the other places of the company. So the Nishnagaya, this, that you do this little thing over here. Don't, you're going to cover this thing, you're going to cover that thing, you're going to make sure that I'm using this equipment, I'm using that equipment, I'm using this piping and that piping. Nishnagaya, we want somebody to go in, that's what we sent in, go do the job. Okay? Go, don't go grubbling and looking at other places. Detail-oriented, we don't need this kind of thing. I'm not going to change my message. <coughs> I called up um, somebody and I told them tuna fish basically gets cooked once it's a whole fish and well, then it gets canned and cooked again. <coughs> I said, in, uh, uh, do you know what kind of food the tuna fish eats? They said they have no idea. I said, I did research. Tuna fish eats mostly crustaceans, which is the bottom tomato. And the amount of food in the stomach of a fish is 7 to 8%. Seven to eight percent is not shishim. So if a company cooks it without taking out the kishkis, which is called, they call it evisceration, if they don't take out the kishkis, which some of them don't take out the kishkis before because it, it dries up too much, so you're cooking it together with zvoramasulim, because the Rebbe Tam says that zman ikul of digestion of a fish is a mess last 24 hours, and you don't have that because Basically, once they freeze the fish, the, the digestion and everything stops, so you still have the particles in there. And when I did check open fish, I was able to find whole fish and whole things over the, in the kishkas of the, of the fish. So I told him, you have a problem? He said, he does, he's not sure how to deal with it. Then I go and I call up the OU. So the OU spoke to the one the bottom, and they're upset if these facts are true, that that's what it is, we have to ask any company that cooks before evisceration. So they asked me if I could get from a college biology department if my facts are correct. So I called up Cornell University, I know some of the professors there, and I told them this is what I'm looking for. They called me back and they said they just got a call from somebody in the OU for the same information, it's the same thing what I'm asking and they're asking. I said yes it is. If it gets to the next day, 12 o'clock, they send me out, basically all my facts are correct, this is what it eats, and that's the percentage that they have in there, etc., etc., and you could, by uh, in biology department, you could see exactly what's in there, and they still put a lot of parts they find from, from uh, the crustaceans, etc., etc., so oh, you sent out a letter right away, that any common doesn't eviscerate before, they're basically removing the, the, the OUH Gawker from them, and they can't operate, and I notified the Hamisha ones that basically just take from all you companies and you'll never not have any of these kind of issues or problems. Once went in by, uh, by Caterer, the first time that I was working there, it looked to me odd. Oh, the work table, they skirted, they put, you know, skirting what they have, you know, by head tables, by other things, or by uh, smorgasbord, they skirt the table. Why should somebody have by, by a work table, they have it skirted? 
So I waited around and I saw, you know, I saw that they were a little bit uncomfortable with how they were working. So I knew that there's something that they're hiding over there. Because uh, I go back at the table, you know, take a look. Yeah, they had onions they peeled the day before. And they had other kind of things. Everything was hidden underneath. And they figure, you know, as we go, we walk around, and we go here, and we go there, they'll start taking out the things from there, and nobody's going to know from nothing. Then they tell me, no, they peeled all the onions today. I said, you peeled all the onions today? He says, correct. I said, you know, that's basically about two bags of onions. He says, that's correct. I said, I just went out to the garbage. There is no sign of any onion peels there. And I could see that the garbage was taken this morning, so much time you peeled it yesterday. And there's no salt on it, as I could tell, there's no swelling. So, my mail, you can't use none of these onions, you just throw them all out. And, you know, we've had all the problems with them after that, because we realized right away what we were dealing with. <coughs> then I got feedback from <coughs> somebody that the Shufra was in New Jersey. They were packing uh, their containers of Shufra containers of chocolate, um, uh, chocolate for Pesach, and it says product of USA. And this person told me he sees on the bag this product from China. So with the Chinese chocolate, chocolate powder, and uh, it was not a USA product. There was no hashgacha on the bags at all, etc., etc. And basically, there was two hashgachas on the on this uh, thing. The one a hamish hashgacha, and uh, okay, because so I started, and this I just I publicized it uh, two weeks before Pesach. I get calls from people, why didn't you say anything before? And then the other, uh, he called me up, why didn't you say anything before? A lot of people baked already. I say, bake two weeks before Pesach? Who? You cook everything fresh food and fresh bakery. Who makes the things before? Is that, but they were concerned. They all wanted to know, did the Hamish Ashgacha and the OK wanted to know how in the world this... Um, this uh, Rabbi Yaffe found out about this and knew what's going on there. And there was no much gear when they were packaging even. And that company does a lot of commerce items also. But, as I get this. <clears throat> I was recently in Boca Raton, Florida. That's uh, where a lot of the, not in the Miami area, but in the Boca Raton area, where a lot of the kosher supermarkets and stores are, etc., etc., for that part of Florida. And I was going through one of the big kosher supermarkets, uh, everything is under ORB, and I see that they have um, uh, fresh hearts, um, uh, chicken hearts, and it says over there, OU Glot must be kosher. Um, and I was a little bit surprised, because I know the OU does not allow retail stores to sell any uh, livers that has to be broiled, because they feel... And they know that the regular consumer does not know how to brew a liver. So heart should be the same thing. I send out a text to the OU, do you allow uh, fresh hearts to be sold? And they said no. I said, well, it says OU Glot. They asked me to send them a picture. I sent them a picture. <clears throat> then, after I left, I went and called up the store. I wanted to talk to the Mashgiach. And they were giving me a pretty hard time. It seems that from if they're talking to this big supermarket and takeout place, and everything else like it, that they don't really have a mashgiach on hand. So I asked them, where in the world did you buy these hearts from? And they said, they're not sure. I said, well, something was on the package if you wrote it in OU. I said, it definitely wasn't OU because OU doesn't allow any of the, the places that do shrita to sell the hearts. Uh, they don't know. 
So then they told me that the distributor that sold it to them was a certain distributor. I don't remember the name of the distributor. It's uh, based on the Rabashkin family. It's the sister of Rabashkin that has that distribution. So I had somebody else call them up and find out do you, where do you get your hearts that you sell? They said we usually get it from um, the Shkita in Iowa over there, the Aaron's um, Rabashkin, whatever they're called over there, uh, from that Shkita. That's where they have the hearts, the fresh hearts. But they said that they did not have any heart since a little bit after Purim. Um, and this, basically, I was there on May 7th. And it looked pretty fresh, the hearts. And if they didn't have it from uh, from before Purim, that means it was basically, you're talking about um, two months or so, and this was definitely a fresh heart. Something doesn't add up. Then I looked closer at the package, and there was no leakage of blood. And usually a heart, and if it's it, it, the date of expiration was the eighth. If it expires on the eighth, means it was in the shelf already for a couple of days, and there was no leakage of blood in the package. And the only way that that usually will happen uh, is when they do a non-kosher kill. By a non-kosher kill, they electrocute the chickens, and they have the head goes into water where they electrocute it, so all the blood gets absorbed into the. Uh, into the body, and there's no, usually there's no leakage, and basically, and this was definitely a fresh heart, it can't be that it was uh, even taken out from the freezer, because I could tell it was taken from the freezer, and that it was um, uh, there for two months, they had it, it just doesn't make sense, and they would never be able to keep it there that till the eighth, so basically, I and then I started, I talked to the Ashgacher, and after a while, trying to push them, to get some straight answers on the Ashgach, etc., etc., it seems nobody was home, nobody wants an answer for anything, and they really don't have a Mashgiach there in the place, etc., etc. So I contacted OU, and OU says, yeah, they're required by every supermarket place that has a takeout, they have a butch department, there must be a full-time Mashgiach, but ORB evidently doesn't feel so, etc. But uh, the only thing that I was able to conclude after all the research that I did was that it was really uh, actually a tray for heart from some tray for a place over there, and though you sent that letters to notify them they can't use it, and that they don't allow any OU um, uh, hearts or livers to be sold retail, etc. But in the five towns, they're still selling, uh, I, I don't know about hearts, but liver, they're still selling, even though they say that they uh, go along with OU, but basically, evidently, over here at this point, they don't go with the OU, and they're selling with the fresh hearts, even the fresh liver, even though most people do not know how to broil liver or hearts correctly. The story in Shevach, uh, in Shevach, uh, um, uh, butcher in in Mansi Spring Valley, and they supplied to uh, the supermarket right next to them, Hatzlocha supermarket. Uh, they supplied all the product to them over there, and I was doing a job in the atrium, and it was a basic Yosef job, and uh, I my order to the uh, caterers always do not open any of the boxes of the meat or poultry. I want to see if the seal boxes. And I checked through all the boxes were sealed. And then I asked him, where is the tongues? So he tells me the tongues are in that box over there. You know, there's a small box over there with a black garbage bag. And in there is the tongues. And I put in my hand. I feel that it had uh, whatever it was, 12 or 15 tongues. And I asked him, uh, how come it's not a sealed box? He says, the Shemesh Shabbos bought it. The owner of, of Shevach bought it. And that's why it's not a sealed box. So I called up the, uh, the Shevach butcher, 
And he says, yes, he's the one that brought it over there, etc. And I told him, do you know if it's Beis Yosef? He says, I'm sure it's Beis Yosef, because that's what the order was. So I bring the tongues, and I come to his place, and I tell him, could you show me the bill that it came in as Beis Yosef tongues and where it came from? Because I don't allow from every place that it came from. I want to see the paperwork. So he says that the, he had a, his partner was here when he came in. He wasn't here, and the partner's not here today, so he really can't um, be able to show me. He says, so if you don't want the tongues, don't take the tongues. I said, do you sell uh, other Beis Yosef products? He says, by me... My standard order to all my suppliers are that I only take base Yosef because I have a lot of Spanish customers. And all my stuff basically is base Yosef. Some person tamach on one box here and there that's not, but generally it's all base Yosef. So I say, but your two boxes that I see now over here on the floor are not base Yosef. So he says, it happens, one or two boxes. I say, could I turn to your refrigerator and freezer? So he says, the light is broken over there. The electrical electrician will be here tomorrow. So I take out my flashlight and I take a look and I couldn't find a single box that said over there, Beis Yosef, he had 60, 70 boxes in the freezer and he had some boxes in the refrigerator. Nothing was marked for Beis Yosef. I started um, being concerned a little bit. So he opens up his drawer and he takes out a panel, a box panel from Ali and he shows me, you see, it's Beis Yosef. He says, that's what all your meat that I sent over to the atrium, that's all Beis Yosef. And I'm thinking to myself, one second. All those boxes are sealed boxes with their own panel. What are you doing with a panel over here in the drawer indicating Beis Yosef? I say, let me see that panel. I take a look at it, and I know the date code that Ali puts onto that boxes, and this was more than six months old, this box. So he keeps this thing that if a customer basically comes along and asks for Beis Yosef, he shows them that it's Beis Yosef, and it's really not Beis Yosef. So he saves a couple of these things. When he gets a box that happens to be Beis Yosef, he saves the panel to be able to show the customer, but I realized really what I'm doing, and I said, there's no way that I'm going to use your your tongues, because I don't have any proof that it's Beis Yosef, whatever else it is. Then, when I get back, I went and I called up Ali, and I wanted to know, did he order from you any Beis Yosef tongues in the last couple of weeks? They looked back in the records, they said he hasn't ordered, not Beis Yosef tongues, not any tongues from them in the past year, which was very interesting and surprising, where is he getting tongues from? So I called up uh, Chaimowitz, international butcher, and I asked him, did they get from you maybe any tongues? He says, no. He says, I could check back on my records. He says, for the last year, they haven't gotten any tongues from me at all. I had somebody call up Rabashkin to find out if they got the tongues over there, and the uh, same thing came back, that they did not get from them any tongues in the last year. And I checked with the flock of grocery, and they said they always have as much tongues as they need. So they have no idea we get the form of what it is. Because when he sends it in to them, it only has his name on it. But if the three kosher purveyors never sold in tongues, something doesn't add up. I came to the conclusion, based on some other research I did, that basically he's been selling non-kosher. So I called up the state of New York, kosher division, that they should go do an inspection. They sent down somebody to do an inspection. And the rabbi said, don't bother him. He's an Erdlacher person, he says it after Yom Yishir, he's the Balkaira, he's also the Chazan on Hashem Kippur, he's the president of uh, the local yeshiva over here, this and that, don't bother him, everything is good and fine and well, just leave and don't bother if somebody's making a tumble about it, just ignore it. I tried sitting down with other Rabbanim and I spoke to the Rabbi Machsha, I spoke to the Mashkir, nobody wanted to hear nothing, and then basically eight years later when they discovered that yes, he was selling a trinkers over there. That was one of them. Then there was another butcher in, Bo- in Borough Park, where somebody, uh, Hamish Ashgach, he was given Ashgach on it, 
he took it over recently, and he calls me up, and he says that people are tining, they say that there's, um, he can't really rely on this person at all, he's not reliable, etc., etc., he says, you know, I don't see anything wrong with it, there's a mashgiach there that opens and closes the place, and he does his own knicker, everything, this and that, I don't see any problem, could you maybe do me a favor and check out the place? So I stayed there for a couple of hours to see how it goes over the knicker, what uh, the one is doing, the mashgiach, etc., etc., very small area to be able to work with, okay, then I uh, called him up and I said, I told him uh, that I would like to meet with him and the old lady in his office. And so Ravamacha tells me, if you can't show me 100% that it's safe, I don't want to hear what your assumptions are and your conclusions. I want you to show me clearly the uh, issue or the problem, then I'll address it, otherwise I don't want to open the thing. I said, fine. And so we come to his office, which was upstairs of the butcher store, a big empty loft. And I take a look, it's interesting, there's no file cabinets. There's no Rolodex. There's no computer. It seems that he basically cleared out everything. Uh, that there's no record that I could go into to see anything. Okay. So he asked me where I want to sit. So I said, I want to sit by your desk. And you sit on this chair. And the other marshal sit on this chair. And I started asking him certain questions, how he does it, etc. Who, um, I said, when uh, you do all the nickel of all the meat, he says, yes, everything. I have my own beer here. He does the nickel. We get in everything comes in from the, the Glactosha purveyor, this is the Rolodex Glactosha purveyor also, and everything comes in there. So I open up his drawer, and I see he turns white as a sheet, and I take out a business card, and I say, what's this business card doing? This is not a kosher outfit. He says, I'm a partner with them in raising cattle, and that's why I have that card, and I have all the ones over there, but I saw that he was very, very concerned when I pulled that out, and I pulled out some other cards. I didn't feel comfortable. So I asked him, how much do you save by, do you pick up the meat or do they deliver it to you? He said, I pick it up. I said, how much do you save in picking up versus delivery? He says, three cents a pound. I said, could we make a change and you don't pick up the meat anymore over there, but basically uh, they deliver it to you. He said, I have no problem. Three cents is three cents, no, no big thing. Okay, and basically we're leaving. So the Rabbi Maksha tells me, um, Rabbi Jaffe, I told you, you're not going to find anything. There's nothing wrong with the guy. Some guys have what they did about it, this and that. And yeah, it's true that a lot of people are, are saying things about him. And you see, the big thing is, you wanted this this little change, which I don't see why that's important, the change of having uh, that they delivered. Them. Oh, it's all dinosaur. He said, I have no problem. I come back uh, home, and my wife says, well, how did you make it? I said, if my uh, conclusions are right, I nailed the man. I got him. And she says, what do you mean? And uh, that night I get a call from the the owner of this butcher store, get a call from his wife, crying on the telephone that I'm accusing her husband of selling trafers, etc. I said, why, just because I want him to not to pick up the stuff, but to deliver, etc., etc. And he had a big business going also that he was selling wholesale to nursing homes and other ones. He had a wholesale business and a retail business. And retail business, which I've checked over there in the store, Never ran out of any cuts. He always had all cuts that he needed. It was always very, very reasonable. And he had plenty of tongues, etc., etc. Never had any shortage of anything. Always had enough. Meshkiyach worked very, very hard. Long hours, etc. There was only one door to the place, to the front, and no other door. Okay, so I told my wife that I think I know the, the, the gig that the guy was doing. And we'll prove it. If within a month he stopped selling wholesale, he's added a wholesale line, and within a year he sells his business, 
then I know that I've gotten his gig of exactly how he's working. What was he doing? He was picking this, the meat up in Masper. There's a certain amount of, uh, of sides of beef. And stopping over also in Manhattan and picking up another load of sides which you throw in the back of the truck. Everything is not manuka and nothing is salted, so one doesn't look any different than the other one. They all look the same. It's just you'll have one has plumbers on there with God kosher, and one doesn't have plumbers. And you give the mashgiach, you start taking off two, three sides of beef with the mashgiach that's doing the nicker, and you start doing the nicker and just start taking this apart from the salt. And you then take another two, three of them. And the guy basically takes the plumbers, and then you say, oh, yeah, okay, Rabbi, here's these other two, three, and here's the plumbers from that one, here's the plumbers from this one. So you could get in a lot of other ones into the system over there without the Mashgiach realizing how much it is. Because the Mashgiach, I asked him, he never looked at the paperwork that came from where they got it from, where they got it from Maspers, where the meat came in from, of how many sides of beef came in. He never bothered looking at that. It was all the Balabas. Very simple, because you have to cover up, because they got in basically twice as much. Because otherwise, by me, there was a big question, how in the world could somebody sell wholesale when he's a butcher store, when they could buy direct from the purveyor, they could buy wholesale price. Why would they buy from butcher store retail? But if he has that half of his meat or two-thirds of his meat is really non-kosher, which is costing him a lot less than the kosher, he could have that. And then and the only time for him to sell his butcher store would be now when he has a big customer base because his prices are going to have to go up if he could only now get in glad kosher meat. And basically, within two weeks, he stopped his wholesale business. And within a year, he did sell off his uh, his uh, butcher business. So evidently, we called it right. And then I met one of his workers about a year or two later. And he says that the well, boss says that he doesn't know how I figured out exactly what his game is. But evidently, I got it. So I said, what did he tell you was the game? He said, he didn't want to tell me. But uh, he says, I never felt comfortable when I worked there. He used to send me out to do certain things. It's not I felt uncomfortable, but nothing did I ever see that he was selling non-kosher. He says, maybe I just probably didn't understand enough about the business. <coughs> I was out in Pennsylvania by a halal uh, Muslim lamb uh, kill in Pennsylvania, <coughs> which was under the USDA. And I wanted to observe the certain things I wanted to see over there. <coughs> and I also wanted to take back for the ones that are learning Shrita uh, and Trefas over here in the yeshiva, I wanted to bring them back some lungs, some other parts, they could see exactly what it is, so the easiest way is getting it from there. So as I was talking to the manager that I would want to take it, so he says, you got to talk to the inspector, the USDA inspector. The USDA inspector says that's all called OFAL, O-F-A-L, and it's illegal to basically, um, according to USDA, you can't take it out, it all goes, uh, basically, they sell, whatever they do with it, it goes to the garbage. So I said, tell them, very interesting. I see your knives you're not keeping in uh, in hot water, and this thing you're not doing right. You know, there's a lot of USDA things which I'm familiar with, USDA regulations, and I'm giving them a list of, of seven, eight things that doesn't comply with USDA regulations, and you seem to go along with that. So, you know, what is the difference? I say, but, you know, I'll go along with whatever you want. Uh, you call them doctor, that's what they are. And then they take a break at 11 o'clock. And he comes over to me, the USD inspector, the doctor, and he says, usually I don't punch out when I go to lunch, but today I'm punching out. You know what that means when I punch out? I said, no. He says, that means there is no USDA inspector on site until I punch back in. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Okay, so I went to the trunk of my car. I take out my plastic bags. 
and I'm trying to get some of the, the lungs and some other parts in there. It's very, very slippery. I was having a tough time. Suddenly, two hands come. They hold open the bag, and I put it on. I take a look, and I see that it's the USDA inspector, the one that's holding open the bag. And I basically got frightened a little bit. You know, is he trying to trap me over here? So he says, there is no USDA inspector. I'm a regular person uh, just walking around over here. He says, but you got another 10 minutes. Get it done within 10 minutes. He says, and lock it up in your car, and then we'll get back to work, and I'll check back in. <clears throat> Certain point in time, many years ago, 40 plus years ago, the Pshnei Kotler was thinking of possibly taking the chickens from a large commercial plant in Pennsylvania. So he uh, asked the one of the poisons of the yeshiva and another two young alike that finished uh, Yeridea. They should go out do an inspection of the plant and he asked me to go along. I was pretty much a fresh young man at that time. So I asked him if you have the main poisic of the yeshiva and the other two young alike, what do you need me for? So he says he needs me for something which will explain as follows. He says they'll come back, they saw this part, they saw this part, they saw every little part and they don't see a problem. But I need somebody that could have an of what's called a bird's eye view. Take a look at the whole picture and maybe it just doesn't add up on what it should be. So that's what I want to know and that's what I'm sending you for. So we go out to the plant and uh, the other ones did not know how to buy the Vesak and I didn't know and there was one sheikh with an older sheikh didn't want to give me the sock and I uh, got into a little bit of ruckus with him. Went to the thing, so what it is, oh, and you couldn't get in without an appointment. You had to make an appointment, but they didn't let an appointment, no appointments on Tuesday. Okay, <clears throat> came back, so this uh, Paisik went to ShopRite, and he bought a chicken, he gave it to uh, his Shriga to cook, and the Shriga says, we don't use Empire chickens, I was there today, there's nothing wrong. So the Shriga checked the chicken, and she found the Shaila of Trafus, and they had to throw out the chicken. The Bishnei asked me, what do you say about the place? I say I want to discuss it with Ramosha. Okay. I went to Ramosha and I told him these things. So Ramosha asked me, did they, uh, did you have to go with an appointment? I said, they don't allow us at an appointment. <coughs> he said, that's an envelope. He says, but, and they don't, and they don't let you make any appointments for Tuesday. <coughs> he asked me if I know why. I said, because the, the, the mashkir that comes out to the plant from the Kasha's organization, but that call comes on Tuesdays, and they didn't want us to confront them. That's what I feel is the reason they didn't want on Tuesdays. He said, I want you to go back to the plant without an appointment, and report back to me the changes that you find there from with an appointment without an appointment. Plus, I want you to check out these two things. So it's a problem, you know, getting to the plant without, uh, it's all gated around, and uh, getting out there with the past Harrisburg. Okay, so I drove out there. I knew from where the trucks come with the chicken. So I parked about a mile away from the plant, and I opened up the hood, and I stood outside the car, and one of the trucks that he bring the live chickens passes by, pick up my hand, and he says, Rabbi, you need a lift to the plant. I said, yes, my car broke down, I need a lift to the plant. So he takes me to the plant, I open up the gates, I'm inside, I'm by the I saw what I wanted over there, and I had my own helmet, my own boots, my own coats, everything, so there's nothing I needed from them. And... Um, and uh, then the plant, after I was there about a half hour or more, that I hear on the, on the loudspeaker, they say unauthorized personnel in live room. Live room is the way they do the shrita. So I knew somebody was going to come and get me. So I went to the next section of the plant that I wanted to see. And, you know, every time I listened on the loudspeaker, I just kept on moving around. I was there in the plant 
they basically pretty close to two hours. Suddenly, two guys come and grab me. They said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm looking for a public telephone to call, make a call because my car is stuck down the road. They picked me up and they said, get out of this plant. I don't care your car is stuck. You can do whatever you want, call the police or anything, but out of this plant. You don't belong here or anything. I went back to the militia and I told the militia everything. And there was a number of changes they made when we were there versus with an appointment versus when I was there without the appointment. So the militia felt very bad. He says, a plant that can't justify what they're doing uh, with people come without an appointment they have to make the changes is really unacceptable. And the second thing is that that people like you, that you understand the plant very well. And Bukhlal, to the lack of a plant that people don't have at least Seregal and some Soifa says he always came to plants on to Shritas unannounced. He says this is an unacceptable thing. He says go tell the Pshneya in my name that this is not what you give to Bachim Galati. This is not what you give. So I asked the Moshe when the, the Shiva goes to um, a dinner or convention or something like this. Do you eat this? He says in my house, you know I don't eat it. He says you checked out for me my butcher. So you know exactly where I'm getting from. He says, but when I go after conventions or something else, he says, Oyrach has different alakas. I said, the marshal has the Oyrach have different alakas. He says, out of Shabbos and out of Yontif, you can cash your meat and chicken for an Oyrach for 18 minutes, you can stay in the salt and you don't have to wait an hour. There's a lot of such halakas like that. He says, so I make a decision based on a lot of other criteria. I say, but Lamaisa, does the Shiva eat the, the chicken from this place over there? So he says, if I make a decision, he says, if I decide that I'm not going to eat it, which is uh, very often, is, well, that's what it is, but I know that others may be looking in my plate what I'm doing. So I take the knife and the fork, and I tzapachka the chicken or the meat. He says, uh, you know, basically takes it apart. And I just eat the vegetables where people think that I ate the, the chicken or the meat or whatever else it is, but tell the uh, Pshnei not to use it, and the Pshnei basically decided at that point not to use it anymore. Then they had a little bit after that, um, the Mashkirch of Nosen didn't feel comfortable with the cook they had in Yeshiva, and he wanted to check out. So uh, the Pshnei called me into the office with the Mashkirch, and he says, could you maybe take over that goch of the kitchen for a while and check out this cook, if he's reliable, he's not reliable, and we want to know Claude, you know, what, what the story is. So I said, it'll take me two weeks' time. Okay. He says, good. They called him the other Mashkir. They said, for two weeks, this other one, this Yafi is taking over the kitchen. Okay, this was on a Wednesday afternoon. The kids, I found uh, right away that he had um, some cake with uh, ants in it. I maybe throw out the cockfish cakes with the ants. I counted how many cakes were thrown out and uh, in the garbage and how many he had originally, and I was short on the count. So at night I went into the freezer and I looked. I found that he hid some more cockfish cakes uh, in the freezer. He didn't throw it all out. Okay, so then I had some other stuff with him and I saw things that I was very unhappy. And then Friday morning I, I hid someplace and I was able to see what he's doing, and then he caught me, and uh, it, it wasn't a comfortable situation. So he went uh, Friday to the Reb Shnei and to Reb Nossin with me to tell them that he wants to quit. So Reb uh, Shnei asked why. So he said, I can't get along with this Mashkirch. So Reb Shnei says, you know, you have to deal with him at the Medzayid and the Henshkis. He can't be, uh, I say, I did, but basically uh, I said, let him tell you what, what happened. So he said, I'll call you. He had the mice that they didn't want the, the, me to serve the cockroach cake that had the ants in it. And uh, I went and threw it out. 
And then I had other cockroach cake that I made, and I want to serve that. And he says, you can't. It also has ants in it. He says, how do you give it out, the thing with ants like that? So the school goes and tells the Shneya that in Europe, before I came to America, I worked over there for the health department. And I have to tell you that without the health department, basically, I'm familiar, it wouldn't hurt anybody eating some ants. So the Shneya was very shocked. And the Bnosah says, Vasatigazakt. He wanted him to repeat it to make sure that Ibshneya really hears that statement. So Ibshneya turns to Ibnosah and he says, No, 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 no. Azazakt afmanishtibazag. In such a thing, you don't have to repeat again. You know, you want, you want to quit, okay? He says, Okay, so Sunday basically, you know, since it's now close to Shabbos, you can't leave now. Sunday we're accepting your resignation. And I go, No, okay, very good. And then uh, Ibshneya calls me and he says, yeah, Please do me a favor. He says, you, you, you undertook it basically for two weeks. He says, I want to make this a, a permanent change. I want you to take over the kitchen. And I'm gonna, we'll give whatever, the, we'll do something with all the mashkiach. But you take over the kitchen. If you have a shayla, go do your own inquiries. Don't go ask any of the poiskim of yeshiva. Because you know this parasha better than they do. Wherever you want to make a beer or make it, you want to go to the moishu, wherever you want to go. If you want to tell me of what the question was and what the answer was, COVID, if you decide not to tell me, I'm also asking, I'm relying completely on you. Please take over the kitchen and make sure that the kashras over here in the yeshiva is on the highest madrega. And I was there basically much gear for most probably five, six years until basically I was I left Kyle at that time. In one of the in that plant in, in Pennsylvania, there was a chesed sashkach that started over there, and they shechted once a week for an hour, and an hour, an hour, an hour and a half. And I went out, I wanted to see the shechita, it just started a few weeks before, and I wanted to see what that shechita is. So I called up the, the two Dayanas that were running it, and they told me, yeah, this and this day, they'll uh, meet me on the road on the turnpike, and they'll pick me up from there, and we'll go down to the plant, and we came there for davening, and basically after davening went down, and then the plant notified the two Rabonim that basically we had to put, you usually had four shechita, and we had to put a fifth shechita, because it was going the process too slow to get the chickens that you needed, uh, it was taking us too much time. So we figured we'll increase it by 20% and we'll put another shaykhan on the line. So the two rabbis said, one second, we have Majgicham that are checking for Nitzradam, checking for a few other things over there. If you increase it by 20%, you know, we have to slow down the line because our Majgicham are not going to be able to catch up with it. They slowed it down a little bit. Then they tried getting another mashgir, they didn't have another mashgir. Because it didn't take long for the hour to go by, and uh, basically it was, uh, was, it was done. On the way back in the, in the van, I asked uh, to uh, Rabbanim, I said, do you insist that your shachtim go to the mikveh before shechita? They said, umbading, by us? Oh yes, shachtim must go to the, to the mikveh before shechita. So I say, so how did the fifth shaykhet know that he's got to go to the mikveh if they put him on the line and you didn't even know there going to be a fifth shaykhet till they were in the middle of the shaykhet already? How was he supposed to know that he went? So most probably he didn't go. <coughs> they had no answer. Then I asked him, you know, and said, by the way, you know, there was only one more tower in the mikveh today. So it seems that uh, four shaykhet definitely didn't go. Who the fifth one was, I don't know. Maybe it was or whatever it was, but they didn't go. Okay, then basically we stopped at a, a gas station to use the facilities, and <coughs> we had no cell phones at that time. 
get back in the van and we go, and I was observing to see if they're going to call up the clan to, to cancel the shechita. So I asked the Rabbanim, I said, if you say umbading, to have, why didn't you call up the clan to say, don't put up umbadam, we're not taking from the shechita. He says, what, and our people shouldn't have any chickens to eat? I said, well, that's what a good hashgacha is. If it doesn't meet your standard, and you said that it's umbading, everybody has to go to the mikveh, and you know Vade didn't go to the mikveh, I said, uh, so he says, well, you always check the towels? I said, yeah, I check, I check everything. I said, but really, if by you it's umpadink that they have to uh, go to the mikvah, you really should have checked how many towels there are, make sure that you're comfortable. You should have found over there at least five towels that was uh, basically being used. And so he says, no, we have, a, we, we try the best we could, and uh, we give them, we, we can't take away that to have our, that archaeologist shouldn't have any chickens that's acceptable. I said, I always thought that, you know, Ashgacha, that the, the people will respect Ashgacha a lot more if they tell them, see, this uh, time it didn't come out to our specification, but we want to have cautious wise, so we don't have any chickens this week. There was a Chinese restaurant in Pasek about two years ago. It was on the Ashgacha from the local uh, Pasek um, rather cautious, and it was discovered that they were serving over there trefus, or they had spakers of trefus, etc., etc. And then they went and closed them up, and they were going to make a beer of what the story is. And basically, I did my own inquiries, and I came to the conclusion that, was, that the Chinese was taka serving trefus. I was familiar with Chinese restaurants because I took care of of basically four Chinese restaurants, and I studied Chinese cooking before I took care of that. And I, I knew enough about the Chinese restaurants. And what was my makaba patish that I realized that they were serving non-kosher? Because the standard from the, the purveyors that sell uh, spare ribs to Chinese restaurants, these things, they give them, you know, a nice bone with very little meat on it. And basically, with the sauces, the Chinese sauces and everything else like it, the people love it. They'll take a, a few, another few, another few, whatever else it is. But I checked with some customers. I went to that restaurant. Their spare ribs always had a big chunk of meat on it, which was not the standard that any of the three you know, or four glot kosher purveyors give to restaurants, and especially not to Chinese restaurants, because they are very, very big sticklers, and they try to keep the price down. For him to have... Um, spare ribs with a lot of meat on it, which I've checked with more than one customer. I know that he's been getting it that was not kosher, but you could have checked on his chickens and a lot of other things to really be selling not kosher. But basically, you know, you really have to be attuned to know what the Chinese are doing and how to watch them, etc., etc., because they are very, very sneaky. <clears throat> the other day, I got a call from somebody who moved into. Lakewood recently, uh, an older couple, and they bought a house, and they want to know how to cashier it, so I started going through, explaining them certain things, then I asked them, well, who'd you buy it from? So he said, we bought it from uh, another firm of people. So I say, so why cashiering it? He said, because the people said that they had a teenage son that they can't vouch for his cashier, and they don't know exactly what he did, and if they moved out of the house... Uh, he stayed there for another two weeks. So they don't know, so they decided they want to cash everything. I say, let me ask you, is there a microwave there? They said, no, that was the only thing that they took, was they took the microwave. I said, then you don't have to cash everything. They said, well, what's that all about? I said, very simple. Uh, these teenagers that are 
involved with everything under the sun, they don't have time to put something in an oven or anything else like it because it's going to burn on them because they're always texting or they're on the phone. The only thing they could use is a microwave. And that's not going to burn on them. They set the time, they, it gets warmed up, whatever else it is. Then this, this fellow that stayed afterwards, when he moved out, the only thing he needed in his apartment, wherever he went to, is a microwave. He needs no ovens. He does, they don't use none of those things. They only use a microwave. I say the microwave is not this. There's nothing for you to kasha. If you want a microwave, you'll replace it. If you don't want a microwave, there's not. But basically, there is no reason to kasha the place. And basically, I uh, check with other about them, and I uh, feel I was 100% justified in coming to that.